0: way that this podcast works is that we're supposed to act like we've been having a conversation and that the, the podcast just kind of starts in the middle of, which we've basically been doing. So it kind yeah. of works.
1: Yeah. Just let it happen.
0: Yeah. And, and so we're, we're kind of doing that right now. So then we have a podcast and that's how we do it. So I think that's, that's it. I think we did it. So, uh, hi internet. Hello everybody. You might notice because of the energy that Scott's not here today to add his sardonic wit, but, but I'm very excited because we've got a guest that I've been excited for for a very long time, and it was sort of touch and go that you were actually going to come on the show for a bit. So I got very happy. (laughs) But we've got Dr. Angela Collier. Hi. Hello. Hi. Just I want to try to find a great way to introduce you. Uh, You have you're a YouTuber. Uh, That's the best way to talk about it. I am. So I'm Angela
1: Collier. I am a YouTuber. I do science videos if you want to check it out. And science and
0: aliens go hand
1: in hand. So Mm that's
0: how we got here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, don't sell yourself. You do science videos, but you've done like, I'm trying to rail off some of the favorites. I think the biggest one, your claim to fame right now is talking about the controversy of uh, string theory and its damage to popular science while playing and winning a game of Binding of Isaac. Second, just completely exposing ransomware for being a completely toothless, scam, <laughs> then just randomly a, a video about why actually you scooped me on this because I was going to do it about why fluoride is actually good for you <laughs> and not oh. Satan <laughs> poison or whatever. Do you have any particular favorites that you sh- that people should be going to?
1: Well, um, so my big kind of theme is science communication and how people are not told the correct information. So it's not necessarily their fault if they think fluoride is bad or such things.
0: Do you have a personal fave?
1: Of my videos. Yeah. Okay, I have a video that not a lot of people watch where I build a Lego set and I talk about women in space. And I really like that one because it's it's timely. We're going to the moon and there are women who are going to be in space. The first woman's going to be on the moon. So check that one Mm -hmm. out. Make it before 2024, I think, is when it's going to happen.
0: Depending on how the lunar lander turns out. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, this... Very exciting stuff. And uh, you've kind of exploded onto the scene. You had this video go completely wild and viral. And I was like, oh, my God, there's so much good stuff. Anyways, I had to stop. I was, we were was gushing before the show started. It, and <laughs> I just wanted to say that it's very exciting for me specifically to have you on here because you have such really good stuff. And you're like an actual physicist, which means that I can be corrected or at least learn to think about things the right way as a humanity's cretin of the <laughs>
1: I actually hope that I say something incorrect and I get to make it on to your next corrections episode. Someone will call in and fix the physicist. That'd be nice.
0: Oh boy. So one of the things that you talked about, you did a really great video where you talked about crackpots and about going from the silly to the actually terrifying about what it's like to deal with the fact that cranks Email physics professors all the time with their strange theories about things. And I was like, well, I gotta think of like a good thing that hits the, the thing of physics crackpot and UFOs. And you're like, oh, that's Planet X. I didn't talk about it in the video, but that's Planet X. And I was like, oh, that's an episode of It's Probably Not Aliens. <laughs> By the way, everybody, this is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens. <laughs> it's a podcast where we uh, debunk or address topics from ancient astronaut theory, pseudo-history, pseudo-archaeology, or I guess today. Pseudo astrophysics, pseudo astronomy, who knows what you want to call And also, just absolute insanity, because I think we are also touching on a couple things we talked about in previous episodes of some of the more fun UFO bits. So, Angela, we are going to have a very fun time today. Thank you for putting me onto this topic.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: So, here's the claim to get started the idea is, at least in the UFO circles, that there is a supposed encounter that's going to happen between Earth. And a large planetary object, a planet that is humongous, way bigger than Earth, four to five times larger than Earth, that is either going to collide or near miss us sometime in the early 21st century. And the last time that it passed by, it had horrible things to the Earth, mass extinction events. And the inhabitants of that planet are referred to in the ancient text by the ancient Sumerians as from Nibiru. But in modern day, we call that the mysterious Planet X. Is there a ninth planet out there? We'll find out. So that's that's basically the main thing that we're going to be talking about today.
1: Nibiru sounds very like Avatar, like the movie Avatar,
0: like Pandora and such.
1: Yeah, it it sounds it sounds like it's in there.
0: It's true. Yeah, I feel I I haven't seen the new one because
1: me neither. They're boring. They're terrible. Yeah, there's, no yeah. one's going to watch
0: it. <laughs> I, I, I only ever watched the first Avatar because I did one of the worst things that you should never do, which is go on vacation at Christmas time to like a real <laughs> place, like a resort. Sure. But we went to New Orleans mm-hmm. and New Orleans on Christmas Day is there's nothing. So
1: <laughs> you did the Chinese food in a movie.
0: Yeah, basically. Sense. Yeah. And, and the only movie playing in Christmas of 2009 was Avatar. <laughs> so that's that's how I spent my Louisiana Christmas trip.
1: Was it in 3D, though?
0: I believe so. Uh, And (laughs) never wanted to watch a 3D movie ever again. So here's the fun part about the Planet X story. And that I think is really interesting is that it started off as a search for a new planet. And originally they had found it and and they found a a real planet. So I want to I want to kind of talk about the story here. And you tell that, you know, a little bit about the physics of this stuff and and about, well, I don't want to spoil any names of dwarf planets that we're going to get into, but let me try to weave a story. And if you know anything, or if you want to expand on anything, just feel free, jump in, please. Okay. Okay. So we start our story in 1846. There's a French mathematician by the name of Albain de Verrier, who using Newtonian physics to analyze the orbit of Uranus notice that there was some things called uh, perturbations. So they weren't, Uranus wasn't acting the right way. It was doing weird stuff. I'm interested
1: in how you've done two separate pronunciations.
0: What what is the scientific accepted? Uh, Is it Uranus or Uranus?
1: I actually collect pronunciations and I've heard Uranus, Uranus, and oh gosh, it's like I can't even do it now. It's it's somewhere between Uranus and Uranus. It's like people are afraid of saying anus. I I would say you would know better. What's
0: the Greek? I think it's Latin. It's uh, Uranus is, I think, a a Roman god, but I think that Uranus comes from a fifth grade science teacher who is tired of (laughs) getting the same jokes over and over again. Um, My mom didn't like saying Uranus, so she always said Uranus, which is a one I, uh, Uranus, let's do it. It's fun. It's more fun that way. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, So they were looking at the fact the orbit of Uranus and noticed that it wasn't doing things the way that they thought it should. And they hypothesized that the reason is because it's being pulled by the gravitational well of an undiscovered planet. And this was picked up and it was predicted that the position of the planet would be figured out. And they sent it to a German astronomer by the name of Johann Gottfried Galle. I don't know. I'm bad. I don't I can't pronounce German whatsoever. So we'll just hope that that works. And. Gala, on the night of the 23rd of September in 1846, looked up and his student, Heinrich Dauré, discovered Neptune exactly where Le Verrier had predicted. So they were like, oh, there's a gravitational disturbance in, in Uranus. And then looking at it, they discovered a new planet, Neptune. Cool. Good job, everybody. We found a new planet. Doesn't Don't do that every day. Uh, and 1846. So that, that's that's pretty cool. That's the last actual planet that we discovered in our solar system. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy. I know. I know. We're, we're, that's where we're going to get the corrections. We're going to get people getting mad about a fight that happened while we were literally in high school about Pluto. <laughs> All right. So some people speculated, though, that one planet, this new Neptune, was actually not enough to explain this variation in Uranus's orbit astronomers expected that there might be more planets because apparently Uranus is a very strange orbit. I don't remember if it's the one that like kind of leapfrogs its orbit so it kind of goes in closer than another one or something like that. That's
1: Neptune, I think. That's
0: Neptune? Okay. Yes. But if it does that with Uranus, then they probably do do some weird gravity stuff together because of that.
1: I think it's Pluto and Neptune. Like their orbits, they overlap, but they'll never touch. Um, Okay. Yeah, they're weird for other reasons.
0: Okay. Yeah. I imagine that like, this is my uh, uh, like potato brain understanding of physics, but like my guess is that because gravity is so like, it kind of gets exponentially stronger, the closer you are to the object that that far out, the orbits can sometimes get funky or more elliptical or something because they're further away from the sun or something. And they're more affected by other things that are closer.
1: That's, that's true. And you can get lots of weird orbits. The question that's becomes important is like the stability. Like if you get a really weird orbit, how long is it going to last? And we're in an old solar system. We're like 4 billion years old or whatever. So if we had lots of really weird orbit things, they should have been expelled or thrown into Jupiter by now.
0: Good old Jupiter. The first episodes of the show, we talked about the Fermi paradox and uh, different answers to it. And the one that, like, Jupiter just absorbs all of the death rocks for <laughs> us uh, and keeps, like, the inner solar system nice and protected is. Yeah,
1: that's kind of nice.
0: It's a nice one, yeah. Okay, so, bef- but people still suspect that there was more out there. Jacques Babinet disputed Leveria's claim and proposed that there's another planet out there named Hyperion, which would be a cool-ass name for a new planet. But it was proven to be an error by another. This, is another. this is like a bunch of astronomers being like, hey, I have this idea. There's this planet out here that explains Uranus's orbit. And they're like, nah, doesn't work.
1: What time is it? It's the 1900s? Yeah, this would probably be
0: like 1846, 1847, okay. so that period.
1: So they don't even have cameras yet. They're taking data with their face. That's hard.
0: Yeah, they're. Finding discrepancies in the orbit of a planet that's like what like fifty something AUs away from the sun and
1: I think it's way more, isn't it? Isn't it like 150? I- oh
0: my goodness. That's a lot. Okay.
1: Very far away. It's way out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so like they're dealing with like microscopically small movements on the thing. So you have to kind of step back and these early astronomers had to be extremely clever to do these mm-hmm. kinds of things. So Again, uh, another astronomer by the name of William Henry Pickering started to search for trans Neptunian planets, uh, one that was established by Hans Emil Lau's analysis uh, and another based on an astronomer named Gabrielle DeLay. I don't know why I'm just throwing a bunch of names out there, but they were trying to look for planets. Sometimes they were called Hyperion. One said that they were called one was called Hades, which would have been really cool and basically was correct. Uh, Hades is just the Greek name for Pluto anyway. And then there's even some claims that show that there might have been up to three planets beyond Neptune, but there's various amounts of proof because you didn't have to do a whole lot of work back then to claim that you were an astronomer back then. So (laughs) university was still more a state of mind than like a crap load of work like it is today. And also in India, another astronomer in India by the name of Venkatesh Ketakar proposed there's actually two out there named Brahma and Vishnu. And he believed that they, along with Uranus and Neptune, were in a sort of, okay, this is another term that I do not know, uh, Laplace-like resonance.
1: Okay. Uh, so, so a resonance, you can just imagine it as like a gravity well. So if things are going to hang out and be stable, they'll kind of fall into it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I guess he's suggesting that you have these three planets, that somehow their orbits combine and stabilize them all.
0: Like almost like a system within a system?
1: Yeah. So they're okay. they're still orbiting the sun, but like they're in a resonance with each other so that their orbits match up very nicely and keep them happy.
0: Okay. What's interesting though, and this is a bit of like the sort of Pluto story that doesn't get told, is that when Pluto was discovered, its distance and orbital period was very close to his proposed Brahma. So hmm. it could have been that, uh, that Ketakar actually kind of postulated that Pluto existed before anyone else did. But his other one, Vishnu, was never found. So that's sort of the prehistory of Planet X. We discovered Uranus, which was quickly followed up by his discovering Neptune. And then a bunch of theories came out that postulated that way out there beyond Neptune, there's more planets that are explaining all the weirdness we're seeing in uh, the orbit of these planets. So in walks in in 1894, a Bostonian named Percival Lowell, And his partner, William Pickering, and established something called the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, which immediately I was like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV because I went on a road trip in 2002 to Flagstaff, (laughs) Arizona, and I saw this thing.
1: Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big one.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Today, if you go and visit it, it's still like a 19th century style observatory that still (laughs) still works. It's really cool. So they believed that he could solve the mystery of Uranus's orbit and started this project in 1906 to look for this undiscovered planet beyond Neptune, which he called Planet X. And he was keen to prove that his theories were smart because recently he had been mocked by everybody for believing there was there was intelligent life on Mars. <laughs> uh, so so he was trying to sh- prove that he was not owned. And his his corncob was to look out into space and see if he could find another planet. <laughs> It's a very obscure Twitter reference for for people on the Internet. Um, Okay, so here's how he did it. They decided by looking along the ecliptic, which is the path other solar system planets follow, using a camera and a magnifying glass and basically looked at 200 different photographs of their observations to see if they could find anything moving, which, again, sounds like the most painstaking type of work you can imagine. (laughs)
1: They used to have these devices where you would have these big photo prints and you could stack them on top of each other and like a light behind it so you could look for differences. So that's probably what it was. So like you just have to change out every frame and compare every frame to every other frame. It would have been a nightmare. Yeah.
0: Great work for an RA. Um, (laughs) Some very underpaid assistant did a lot of work on that. But they looked out there and found nothing. Uh, they didn't find any new planets. And so he redefined his predictions and carried out a second search, which ran from 1914 to 1916. Because I guess to find planets orbiting that far out, you have to basically look at the same point in the sky over and over again for years, because these things have such big orbits to actually see these things moving.
1: And they're so small and they're not very bright because they're, they're planets. They reflect light. They're Mm -hmm. not giving off light. So it's a hard, hard thing to do.
0: Yeah, the magic school bus taught me that if you're on the surface of Pluto, the sun looks like a star, basically. Yeah, like another star. That makes a lot of sense. Like a little point. Yeah. So in 1915, Lowell wrote a report stating that planet X was about seven times Earth's mass Whoa. Uh, bit off there and was about 43 AU from the sun. And he thought it would be a big light planet with a bright surface, which kind of makes sense just because Uranus and Neptune are both very big planets that are very, have very bright surfaces. So that right. kind of makes sense that it's like another Ice giant, I think they're called, those big boys out there. Yeah. But in 1908, Pickering suggesting another planet, a ninth planet called Planet O, was also out there (laughs) based on Uranus's orbit, but they also didn't find that. The theory was eventually disproven. And there was some drama here because Pickering was looking for planet O, Lowell was looking for planet X. And despite the fact they worked in the same observatory together, Lowell said that planet O was a silly idea and wasn't going to work.
1: That sounds exactly like every astronomer I've ever met that tracks.
0: (laughs) But here's what happened. In the search for planet O in 1919, they took four images that in the fullness of time turned out to be unknowing pictures of Pluto. (laughs) And Pickering suggested that there were other planets out there until 1932, but nothing was found. Then in 1916, Lowell suddenly died. And the Planet X search was basically paused because after he died, there was a long and complicated legal battle over all of his stuff, all of his stuff, including the Lowell Observatory. And so basically nobody could use any of this stuff for a long period of time. And as as I just mentioned, these projects need like years of continued observation to really work. So everything shut down until in 1925, Lowell's brother got the telescope back up and he bought a new telescope and got everything running. And then in 1929, a 22 year old named Clyde Tombaugh was assigned the task of looking for the planet. And so he looked at different images and he used a machine called a blink comparator, which I think that was what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And in 1930, he had found an object moving in the Gemini constellation, which he declared to be planet X. And it was confirmed and announced in March of 1930. And and eventually it was renamed to Pluto in honor of Lowell, who was trying to look for Hades. So that's that's the story of Pluto. That's the origin story of Pluto, everybody. What I did not know is that the story of Pluto not being a planet starts here, because as soon as they had said that they had discovered Pluto, they started questioning whether it actually was a planet because it was very small and it had a high orbital eccentricity, which means I think it's got a very elliptical orbit. It goes very far away and comes very close at like different times. And originally they thought that Pluto was about Earth sized, but they eventually around like the mid century, they really started estimating it to be smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. Tiny guy. Mm -hmm. Tiny. By 1973, the best guess was that Pluto's mass was similar to the size of Triton, which is one of Neptune's moons. But basically, this further built this idea that Pluto was too small to really be one of the major planets. And it wasn't until 1978 that we actually found out how big Pluto was. And it was when we discovered Charon which is Pluto's moon. Although it's hard to really call it a moon because they're kind of co-planets. They're like very similar in size.
1: The center of mass of the orbits outside Pluto. So they're like a double system.
0: Yeah. So basically Pluto only gets the glory because it was discovered first, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it has that heart shaped tattoo on it.
1: It's so cute. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was wild because like my entire life, Pluto was just like, here's this fuzzy picture that like Voyager took. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we see that and it was just like wild. Cause like, I'm like, that's so far away. It's so far away.
1: It's so pretty. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Cause like, I would have thought it was going to be like this featureless rock in the middle of nowhere. Right. But no, it was, it was really cool. And it's like colorful too. So the mass of Pluto turned out to be, uh, not earth size, but about one five hundredth the size of earth. So that's one fifth of 1%. Uh, (laughs) but that, that introduced two things. One, It did put a lot of the like, oh, Pluto's not really going anywhere. But two, it also meant that Pluto was too small to account for the weird orbits of Uranus and Neptune. So the search for Planet X was again afoot. (sighs) And so after 1978, astronomers continued to look for Planet X, even though Pluto was ruled out as a candidate. In the 80s and 90s, we had a guy named Robert Harrington investigating, trying to see if it existed, claiming that it would probably be three times as far from the sun as Neptune is and would have a very unusual orbit. In 1972, a guy named John Brady proposed that a Jupiter-sized planet beyond Neptune could account for the irregularities in Halley's Comets motion, but this was also facing some significant criticism because everyone disagrees. That's the thing. That's how science works. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Everyone's just reviewer each other here. I get to use academia jokes because it's two people who went to school yeah. for too long. They're all reviewer toing each other. But in 1983, the IRAS Observatory uh, spotted a, quote, unknown spot. And later analysis turned out that it was actually a distant galaxy or what's called an interstellar cirrus, but not a solar system body. People were excited about that for a little bit. And so, we'll talk yeah. about later that some UFO people glommed onto this as being Planet X. But it turned out to just be either... A distant galaxy or interstellar Cirrus, which I just mean, I imagine it's a dust cloud.
1: How would you spell that word? You're saying Cirrus,
0: C-I-R-R-U-S. uh,
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, that's a cloud.
0: Okay. But then there's another study that came out in 1988, the year that Tristan entered the world. So very big fan of that year overall. They looked at some different hypothetical planet X's and how that would affect Pluto's stable orbit within Neptune and concluded that a massive object could indeed exist out there. So the math did show that it's possible something's out there. And that's going to be the real sticking point for looking for things super duper out there because we keep finding more and more crap out there as we get better at looking right. out there. But it was eventually disproven when Robert Harrington passed away in 1993 without finding it. And another person named Emile Standish revised data that came from Voyager 2's Neptune flyby and show that the discrepancies in Uranus's orbit, which led to the planet X search, were actually non-existent. So they just (laughs) were able to look at some data from a probe actually getting close to these planets and found that this erratic orbit was just sort of the fact that they were looking at something so far away and so small. And
1: I did not know that part. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. So currently, most astronomers agree that planet X, as this is defined, probably does not exist. At least the math problem that led to the search for planet X doesn't seem to bear any fruit. And you can thank Voyager 2 for that.
1: I feel like I'm getting Planet X now confused with Planet 9, which is a different...
0: Oh, we'll get there. That is there, too. Don't worry.
1: Okay, I think when I said it's like at 150 AU, isn't it? That's Planet 9 that we're talking about. Okay, let's go back to Planet X. All
0: right. So that was the Planet X. But this is, of course, not the end of the story. After Pluto and its moon Charon were found, no other objects were found beyond Neptune until 1992 with Albion. What happened was is that we've gotten better at looking out there. And in nineteen ninety two we discovered Albion, which is another sort of Kuiper belt object. And since then, everything has changed because it turns out that just beyond the orbit of Neptune is a bunch of stuff that we now mm-hmm. call the Kuiper belt. And it is full of different, I hesitate to say, like, close to being like a second asteroid belt. It's full of rocks yeah, and ice. That's and, accurate.
1: Okay. Right? It's just big rocks and clumps of rocks and smaller clumps of rocks. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But it all started with uh, discoveries of objects like Sedna, which is another planet-ish that is out there around Pluto that, if we had gone by the classical definition, would have also been considered a 10th planet. It would have been a planet 10 anyway. So planet X, if you want to go by Roman numerals, it would have been a planet X. Mm -hmm. But what happened was that Sedna started to make the astronomical community start to be like, all right, we're finding all this stuff out there. We just found another thing that we might need to call a planet. We're going to have to really... And then they, they dug into the book and realized that, oh, we actually never defined what a planet is. <laughs> and then, of course, it got even worse because in 2005, an astronomer named Mike Brown discovered Eris, which was another 10th planet. But in 2006, Eris and Pluto were very famously, because there, there's just too much stuff out there, they decided to come together and decide what is a planet anyway. And by the definitions that they put together, both Eris and Pluto and Sedna were all downgraded to what are called dwarf planets because they did not clear out their orbits. They were too messy. But yeah. you made a video on this and you have some good thoughts. It's a
1: disappointing. I, I do have thoughts. I just, you you kind of highlighted The astronomy community was like, there's too much stuff. We can't have all these planets. And that's just, I disagree. Let's just have a lot of planets, a hundred planets. We don't have to memorize them. We don't need a song, but they're planets. That's my opinion. We're going to run
0: out of Roman gods at some point though.
1: (laughs) I mean, then we start going with Vishnu and we'll go to Asia. There are so many gods. We'll never run out. It's gonna be
0: fine. That's true. It is clever. It's interesting that like this this is the this is the moment that we came to because as we were like unveiling the Kuiper Belt, we were like, oh, there's a whole. At this point, there's Hubble's already out there, the Hubble Space Telescope. We've taken pictures of the Horsehead Nebula, mm-hmm. that's like hundreds of light years away, but we are still finding stuff like in our own backyard because it's just not very bright and it's very small and very cold. And, right, it's
1: really hard to see small things that don't give up light. Like, it's, it's a really hard job to look for stuff out there. And mm-hmm. like, it's still going on. It's been 20 years since 2006 ish. Yeah. People are still finding stuff and discussing what actually is a planet and what counts. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: It's why like Voyager 2 leaves the solar system officially like every five to 10 years right. or so. So just keep redefining how big it is out there. But again, the thing is that Eris is also too small to validate a Planet X theory. So then where does this get wacky? Where's the wackiness? This is just science. (laughs) We're just talking about the history of astronomy here. But it's so fun. (laughs) It is. It's super fun. Um, But unfortunately, we do have to get into crazies because this then merged with another wonderful movement happening on Earth, which is this theory that there was something coming called the Nibiru Cataclysm which was this doomsday theory that there's a large planet or planet-like object out there that's going to someday come close to Earth and cause a global catastrophe because it would make our planet stop spinning, it would mess up our orbit, all of the things the cranks want to say, like our magnetic poles would shift randomly, and just all sorts of bad stuff was going to ruin us. And the very um, credible origin of this came from a person by the name of Nancy Leader a woman from Wisconsin who got her evidence by saying that she was contacted by aliens known as the Zetans, who put a device in her brain to communicate with her that this was going to happen. To elaborate on these ideas, she started a website in 1995. So you can just imagine like the, the animated GIFs and the sort of 1995 ass website this would have been. Wait,
1: can I ask, how did she say they put something in her brain? How did they do that?
0: Probably something that's very non verifiable, probably something that wouldn't be picked up by an MRI or a metal detector or I,
1: I mean I guess the people that warned her, are they on Earth or are they on Planet X?
0: I would guess probably abduction. There's a lot of people who get who say they got brain chips while they were abducted and then it's like, Well, do you want to take an MRI? And they're like, No, why would I want to do that?
1: Well, I support a woman in STEM if she built a website in nineteen ninety five.
0: She knows HTML, I guess, yeah. So then she got a lot of attention by uh, stating that the haley Bob comet was actually a hoax that was going to divert people's attention from the real <laughs> threat, which is that Planet X was coming, and that it was going to destroy civilization. I feel like I remember the haley Bob comet. I think I remember seeing it.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing, right? It happens like every hundred years, I want to say. Something about Mark Twain.
0: I think I remember being a kid and seeing it. I'm trying to remember if this is the comet that the Heaven's Gate people thought was a ufo and they did a mass suicide about i think it might not be i think that might just be Haley's comment but there's a lot of comments going on in the 90s i guess anyways she referred to this as planet x planet x is coming it's going to destroy us but then the comet came and it was very obviously visible by people on (laughs) earth as a comet and not a rogue planet coming to kill us so that was rough but if there's anything i've learned about people making doomsday predictions is that being proven untrue makes you actually double down. And there's like studies to show this. There's this, um, I was reading this book where they were studying a group that believed that like the apocalypse was coming on a very specific date. And this person was like a journalist in the room after the like midnight passed and the world didn't end and watched people get more and more anxious as the hours passed. And they sort of started collectively starting to build the narrative of what happened and where the next apocalypse was going to be. And it, it's a real human phenomenon. We really don't like making That's mistakes.
1: Depressing. That's, I guess it makes sense, though. Like, you can't just, like, be like, okay, I guess I'll go back to work. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah.
0: Well, like, a lot of these people had, like, given up their life savings, mm-hmm. had moved across the country. Like, it was like, it, like they invested a lot in it. I mean... One of the times that the world was supposed to end and didn't, it started the Seventh Day Adventist Church. So, hmm. so then leader came to the claim, uh, claim that Planet X, which was four times bigger than Earth, would cause our rotation to stop for about six days. Which I don't know a whole lot about orbital mechanics, but I feel like if our planet stopped rotating, the first thing that would happen is we would all start flying <laughs> at like an extremely fast speed in like random directions, and like everything would be a mess.
1: Well, if our planets stops rotating wouldn't we also i i don't like does she have diagrams what exactly is <laughs> the dynamic i need
0: the math here because if it started suddenly like we if we we would still have momentum right we'd just start but flying if, everywhere, if the but.
1: giant planet stops the earth it would stop us too right i i
0: yeah, would I guess love so. to see process just,
1: like her orbital mechanics calculations
0: but <laughs> I, I suspect there aren't okay. many okay I do wonder though, because that does mean like, oh, it's uh, another horrific doomsday scenario. I think there's a short story or a science fiction novel about this, about a rogue planet just zipping through our solar system and knocking us out of orbit. And it was, like, I think it's called like, um, get a cup of air or something like that. Is uh,
1: there's a TV show, The Twilight Zone, and there is an episode where Earth just kind of whoops away and they all just freeze to death slowly. That's similar. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do remember there being a short story where the only thing I remember being is that like the same thing had happened, and they have to go outside for a cup of air. So they go outside and scoop up the air snow oh to bring inside to to warm up to get air, and it's like oh my goodness. Anyways, so she claimed that this was all going to happen, and her new date was May twenty seventh of two thousand three, and also because I don't know why cranks love this whole thing too. I feel like was, there was some documentaries about it, but also that it would cause our magnetic poles to shift because of our magnetic attraction to this planet which is the thing that our planet does very occasionally where the magnetic Mm -hmm. poles weaken and then shift. Uh, You can see it in like the geological record. And we're kind of close to a point where this might happen. But it's a process that takes like thousands of years, not like overnight. And the main difference is going to be that there's going to be a little while where compasses are a little wonky. And also skin cancer rates are going to go up because our magnetosphere is going to get weaker. But that's about it. And I feel like by the time it actually happens, we're going to have some sort of sci fi technology to get us through it. i feel optimistic. Like, course, <laughs> yeah, I hope we're not relying on compasses in like a thousand years. I feel like if we've, I feel oh, like we haven't yeah, progressed much we'll before have at that point. The,
1: the atomic clocks and the GPS, right?
0: I feel like a lot of stuff that used to rely on compasses is now relying on gyroscopes at this point, anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. That just reminds me there's a very funny video I just saw of a, um, a flat earther who bought one of those really fancy laser gyroscopes. Uh huh. To try and test like, hey, if you look at this and the earth is rotating, then it will like move 15 degrees an hour or something like that. And they buy it. And they set it up, and then it starts doing that. And they're like, "Oh, can't accept that." So we we like tried putting it in this. <laughs> That's thing.
1: one of my favorite genres of videos, where like you see you see them realize it, and they're just like, "Oh!" But they still post the video. Yeah. It in well, you.
0: then he was like, "Well, we can't accept that, so we have to put it in this box to see if like maybe the radiation of the sky or attraction of the sky <laughs> was going because they were like apparently one of those things is like twenty grand, right?" So oh goodness. It was very sad, but it just reminded me of that. Anyways. So nothing happened on that day. So she said that that was actually a trick to those in power, insisting that the real date would result in martial law and many people would die. So that was just, it was just—it all, was all—it was all—it was part of her plan all along. Then she kind of her her thing kind of petered out because I guess two doomsday predictions is about is too much. I wonder if what I'm gonna see. I want to see if she's still if she's still up to. She doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Wow. So I wonder if she's still at it somewhere.
1: So I thought. I I might be not understanding this version of planet X, but I thought this, like the way they were selling it was that the orbit of planet X is like perpendicular to the solar system, which is why these events, like the first time it swung by earth, it killed the dinosaurs and it's coming back and that's how they can predict it. Is that the same conspiracy theory or is that a different one?
0: In my realm of studying conspiracy theories, I learned that there are lots of and often contradictory uh, explanations for the exact same thing. And the same people will believe multiples of them at the same time. Okay. (laughs) Um, We have a whole lot more random syncretism for this to go because her whole thing about the Nibiru conspiracy theory is actually taken from another person by the name of Zechariah Sitchin, who we've talked about on this podcast before, who wrote a book that believed that Planet X, or the 12th planet, which is actually the name of one of Zechariah Sitchin's book, what planets 10 and 11 are, I don't know, but let's we'll go with it. And that Nibiru is inhabited by aliens that are referred to in ancient Sumerian texts as the Anunnaki.
1: Okay. It
0: sounds like another Avatar term. And that it comes by Earth about every 3,600 years and causes havoc. Okay, okay. There's a whole lot of theories that they like enslaved humans at one point to mine gold because apparently Earth is the best place in the solar system to get gold. (laughs) Let me tell you about a place called Ceres.
1: I I think we should just pause and say that this is happening in 2003, but if you go back to like 1930, the astronomers are trying to find Pluto by doing these tiny, tiny measurements and Pluto ends up being like, what was it? One hundred, one five hundredth the size of Earth. So if there was a four Earth mass thing in 2003, we could definitely find that. So I just just want to point that out.
0: And especially if it was heading for us, um, I feel like we would see it. That was like one of the um like one of the people we were talking about like our, our attempt to find asteroids that are heading for us and some of them are like, we might have predictions at like a hundred years out. And I'm just like, Can you imagine us just knowing oh, yeah. like oh a thing's gonna hit us in a hundred years? I guess we should get on that.
1: You see it in the news all the time. It's just like, hey guys, in like two and a half weeks, there's like a one in two hundred and ninety-six chance. All um and then you'll just you'll just see the Twitter thread that's like, hey, it yeah. didn't happen. I
0: so. do love the the stories that are just like, hey, guys, this con- this asteroid's coming by. There's this like spot that if it passes through it, that it'll come back in 700 years and kill us. So we'll we'll keep our eye on that one. <laughs> and I just like, oh, yeah. I love orbital mechanics that we can just know that. Okay, so we've got this thing and this this is the whole like I don't know if you've ever seen the conspiracy theories that the world is run by evil lizard human hybrid people, the lizard people.
1: I did. I have seen that. And
0: how it's uh, basically a lot of words to say Jews. It's them trying to say. I did. I
1: did. I, I, I did not know that. Like I saw the mm-hmm. South Park episode, I guess, and it wasn't until like three years ago that I was like, oh, it's just anti-Semitism. I learned from the kids on TikTok.
0: The kids on TikTok. They're, they, they I mean, know they're, they
1: teach me about culture. I love it.
0: Changing parts on her hair and stuff all the time. Yeah, it's perfect. Although there's mm-hmm. some wacky pseudoscience and conspiracy theories going on in TikTok too. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, so Sitchin is the person who is like, the aliens are here. They're going to do these things. And a lot of people latched on like, oh, these aliens that are secretly running society is the Jews or whatever. Or at least a lot of the aliens turn out to be Jews. But Sitchin is like this Russian conspiracy theorist who had this whole thing about the alien, the reptiles came here, enslaved us. And then when they were driven off, they made like alien human hybrids to stay behind and run all the secret bloodlines that run society. And all of those bloodlines just happen to be Jewish and happen to be like every important person and every bad JPEG compression that you see is their hologram coming down or something. And Yikes. yeah. <laughs> This is what our, uh, our, our good friend Nancy was absorbing into her stuff. But Sitchin did not believe her. She thought that she was he thought that she was a crank, which is a very funny thing to say, because he was like, <laughs> that's wrong, because the next time Nibiru is coming is 2900 A.D., not 2003. You're insane. <laughs> of course. I love it. I love I love the intercrank fighting.
1: I want to see the like the peer review, like she runs a simulation and she's like, it's 2003 and he's just like, there's an error. In your high very sense. often
0: actually they do do like numerology to prove these things to themselves or like which is basically uh, huh. nonsense math in a lot of ways like is
1: numerology different from astrology
0: I mean it's different in the sense that imagine if you did astrology but with numbers instead of stars okay. Uh, it's a very big thing in, like, Jewish mysticism, but it's also, like, used by a lot of different, like, it's it's a part of, like, divination and all sorts of stuff. It's, like, why some, like, hangovers in, like, modern-day religion is, like, how the number three is super-duper important in Christianity and shows up over and over again. Or huh. how the number 12 is really big in Zoroastrianism, and that sort of syncretically moved into Christianity, like, how the 12 disciples of the sun god, Mithra... Uh, I totally
1: thought you forgot Jesus.
0: No, well... <laughs>
1: Like you're just like the 12 apostles of that guy. <laughs>
0: well, the, 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 this, is the, this is like the wild thing about Christianity is Christianity is like it was built and it like, you know, grew out of the Middle East. And there's like a whole lot of different religions out there besides Judaism that influenced its stuff, like the number 12 being very important to the Zoroastrians in, in Iran and in Persia. And you can see that in the fact that there's two major figures in the Bible that have 12. One has 12 brothers and sisters with Joseph and the Old Testament and Jesus having 12 disciples. Like that's all sort of 12 being like kind of like a sacred number. And huh. and like even like the whole 666 thing, people uh, have suspected that that might be sort of a numerological translation of one of Caesar's names and stuff like that. So it could, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Okay. Numerology, it's super fun. People have looked into all sorts of strange patterns to try and tell the future. But Sakurai Sitchin unfortunately can't defend himself today because he's unfortunately too dead to respond to any of these claims. He died in 2010, but his last thought was that the Anunnaki are not going to come by their planet swinging by but are going to come via a spaceship around the time of the Age of Aquarius. Another thing that we can't even delve into for time, but the Age of Aquarius when I guess the How do I explain this to someone who knows the science but doesn't know the crankery?
1: Well, people always expect astronomers to know, like, star signs and constellations, and we don't because that's not how we think about it. Mm -hmm. So I know Aquarius is one of those.
0: Yeah. Uh, The general idea of astrology is that, like, the day that you were born is based on when the sun rose over which constellation on the day you were born. As, as the mm-hmm. sun moves around the sky during the year, it rises over these 12 different constellations, or now it's 13 because of procession of the equinoxes. So it's actually... You
1: just casually dropped, well now it's 13, like they can just change
0: astrology. <laughs> well, because this is, this is the part where it gets weird because astrology, like your your sign today is based on several thousand year old mysticism. And the thing is, as you know, from procession of the equinoxes that the sun doesn't rise over the same constellations as it Mm -hmm. does 3000 years ago at the same time of year. So now it's like we're a whole thing off and then there's a whole new constellation that it didn't rise over before that it now does. So it's even more complicated. It's it's weird.
1: I'll have to come back for the astrology episode because oh I, I what's the reason? Gravity? Are they saying it's gravity affects your brain?
0: Listen, if they had if they had a why, <laughs> we would be having a completely different conversation. <laughs> the entire thing is it's just true. The process on how it happens isn't important. It's like this correlation definitely means causation. We don't know what the cause is, but it's just there. Okay. That's the best it can get. But Nibiru is like a real term in like ancient Sumerian stuff, and it's referred to as this like symbol of the sun with wings, basically, and that this is like the winged star. And like people believe that this is like the symbol of it coming back and everything like that. So what happened is that the predicted end of the world in 2003 didn't happen. So it got postponed and it started to glom on another apocalypse prophecy which was that the Mayan Bakhtun cycle, the Mayan uh, calendar Bakhtun cycle, which reset in December of 2012.
1: I remember this one.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so people were like, well, if this thing's happening, we could just glom onto this other thing. These other people mm-hmm. were talking about a different apocalypse that's going to happen then. And I remember very explicitly, because like, YouTube was in its very primordial stages at this point. And there were a lot of people saying like, in 2012, Nibiru's going to come to Earth. The reptilians are going to show up and it's going to be a whole thing. I remember this extremely explicitly because that's when I first got into debunking cranks on the internet.
1: Are there crackpots on YouTube?
0: A few, occasionally. (laughs) I think I'm one of them sometimes. Okay, so 2012, we did this too, although uh, leader didn't provide a new date after 2003. Many people just sort of attached it to December 21st, 2012, because of the end of the Mayan calendar cycle. So just take this entire other calendar made by an entire indigenous American society that gets their mythology abused relentlessly by cranks as a lot of, as we've covered in the series, a lot of Native American cultures do. Mm-hmm. And so that's another fun part of this uh, is a bunch of a cultural appropriation. And then leader also said that President Obama and other world leaders were going to reveal Nibiru's presence near the sun in 2012 and in 2014. So the whole idea is that NASA knows that Nibiru is coming, but they're keeping it secret from us because they don't want us to panic.
1: How do you keep a planet secret?
0: Yeah, I feel like a, hilarious. a planet that's like four times the size of Earth getting closer. Like there's amateur astronomers out oh, there, tons the of The
1: amateur astronomers would have been all over it. We would have pictures after pictures.
0: <laughs> it's true. So after 2012 came and went, all right, Nibiru's done. We're good. Everything's fine. But then 2017, which I did not know about this. So in 2017, another guy named David Mead who is a considered Christian numerologist, so a person who does the sort of math astrology, <laughs> predicted that Nibiru is going to come back based on quote the Bible and the Giza pyramids. Interesting <laughs> things to claim it off of. Wait,
1: what? What from the pyramids? Like their location? Probably their, their alignment. they make a map? The pyramids okay.
0: get abused a lot too because they're like in a line with like a bit of a disalignment, and everyone's like, "That's the constellation Orion's Belt" or something like that, and it's like, okay, sure, whatever, bud. It's lovely how these things keep happening. They just like, like again, like you can see like they're like a Katamari ball of random things. They just all smash them together and it keeps building. So in 2017, it comes back because this guy, David Mead, predicts the world's going to end. And despite the fact that this is nonsense and based on like multiple layers of nonsense, this got a lot of media attention and a lot of viral fake news stories and all sorts of stuff like that. Various people debunked it, including other Christians, astronomers, you know, people who Actually, do this work. And even Time Magazine did a piece on why he was wrong, just to show how big this got. He predicted that on September 23rd, 2017, that's when the world was going to end, but then it didn't. And he adjusted it to October 5th and said it was going to be even more worse than he predicted.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And then when it passed, he was like, well, I got to redo my math. I got to figure this out. Aww. (laughs) And so it seems like every few years, somebody finds a thing to predict the end of the world. And Nibiru and Planet X and all that stuff sort of gets balled and uh, glommed up into it. And of course, the other big thing is that NASA's in on it. Uh, and I feel like that I, I wanted to talk about this because you uh, did that whole piece about how the scientific establishment gets took quite a beating from uh, all of the uh, string theory nonsense.
1: Right.
0: And right. that you're that the field is still suffering in the public eye because of that in like tangible ways, like money ways. Which sucks because if I'm learning anything, it's that when physicists want to do something experimentally, it's really expensive. They need to build like a one right. kilometer sized hole in Switzerland or a tokamak <laughs> reactor or something like that. Like it does physics mean, isn't cheap.
1: <laughs> JWST was like $10 billion. Yeah. That's so many billion dollars.
0: I could, you could buy a lot of Pokemon cards with that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I was thinking about like how like, um like every time I tried to write a grant for like some work, like I just need a, I just need a plane ticket to... New York to do this thing. And then I'm like, how do you write the grant? Like I CERN wish for 11 billion quadrillion dollars so that I can make a really big hole in the ground. And what are you going to do with it? I'm going to take two things, (laughs) two really small things. I'm going to smash them together really, really hard. And it's going to be super cool. Or, um, the real fun one is, uh, I want to know what the the grant proposal for, I'm going to make a really big, 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 big hole underground, like deep, deep underground. I'm going to fill it with Uh water and then we're going to see if any light shows up.
1: Well, that one's cheap, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. You just need some concrete, and some bleach in a box, and you're golden.
0: You can do that at home now. Yeah. But I guess there are some fancy.
1: If you're asking actually, I think like if you think something like EHT, uh, the Event Horizon Telescope that did the black hole, that was actually so many different mini things. So like they build a bunch of different telescopes and then the team comes together and they're like, what if we all use the telescope together? And now it's a whole situation. So it's easier to do it that way to like many projects that slowly build over time. And it's like, you've already put in so much money. Just give mm-hmm. us a couple more million dollars.
0: It's fine. Um, Great.
1: Yeah. Just a couple million dollars. It's nothing compared to the rest of the budget. It's yeah. nothing. Zero dollars.
0: I imagine if you're like CERN too, you, you don't like apply for grants. You just go to countries and be like money. <laughs> please
1: probably I I can't imagine we'll get another CERN though I don't know who's gonna go for it there there was talk of building one on the moon and I just I can't imagine I can't imagine who would go for it
0: we need to build a micro black hole to devour another planet or something (laughs) do you remember that that was a fun that was a fun bit of physics crankery when CERN was coming online they're like oh it's gonna create a micro singularity that's gonna eat the world or something
1: like people were like don't turn it on don't you don't know what they're doing Oh, boy. But I would say if, if the scientists thought they could do that, they might. It'd be interesting. The results would be good.
0: Yeah. It kind of makes me think of um, when they were going to ignite the first nuclear weapons and they were like, oh, is this going to cause a chain reaction that destroys the entire Earth? It's kind of like the same thought process
1: i didn't know that one i'll have to watch oppenheimer yeah when oppenheimer oh, comes out,
0: the last movie apparently um we're, <laughs> we're, after oppenheimer and barbie i think it's interesting that those two are going to be the last movies we get for like many years
1: i think barbie's going to be a masterpiece so maybe it's worth
0: it i feel like uh, unfortunately my uh, my babysitter window is not going to let me see it in theaters so <laughs> i can't barbenheimer or whatever it's called <laughs> But it's interesting that, like, because of all the strikes that just happened, the strikes that are going Mm -hmm. on and the new one just announced today, I'm like, is Hollywood done? Are these like, are, are, is Oppenheimer and Barbie going to be the end of movies? Is that the last two big Hollywood movies that we're going to get? I mean,
1: that's good for us, right? The content creators. We're still here. I mean, if you can't watch Barbie, watch me Mm -hmm. on YouTube.com.
0: I remember when COVID uh, really set in and, like, John Oliver had to move to his, like, online or to his, like, home set. And I was just like, oh, so now he's a YouTuber, huh? (laughs) Okay, so here's like some conspiracies that are like how NASA is trying to take things away and how it got wacky. So they accused NASA of hiding Nibiru and that because they claim that NASA is a heavily funded agency like the DOD or the Department of Defense, when like anyone knows anything about NASA, its budget is like 0.5 percent of the U.S. government's budget compared to the Mm -hmm. DOD, which I just think is approximately all of it at this point. I guess (laughs) all of the money that doesn't get spent on NASA, the cops just goes to the military, as far as I can tell, in the U.S. budget these days.
1: I do also wonder if Space Force is going to try to like take some of NASA's funding, just be like, no, we got to space force it. We're the Space Force.
0: That is an interesting way to talk about. Kind of like how um, the Apollo program was basically just their way of developing ICBMs. It's sort of the other way around. Like they're going to accidentally. Is
1: that is that true? Like I mean, <laughs> I thought Kennedy was like, we got to go to space. Space.
0: I mean, the planet crackers of the Cold War, like the big ICBMs, are just Apollo rockets with a nuclear warhead in it. So huh. turns out everything sucks. But the thing is, like, to call NASA a highly overly funded agency in the United States budget is extremely funny.
1: <laughs> it is. And I have made this comment before, but it's not like the 10 billion dollars that we used to build JWST is like in space right now. Like you actually spend it. On Earth, the NASA's a job creator. They're, like, licensing small business owners and being, Mm -hmm.
0: like, build a Canada arm. Yeah, we talked about that before the show, but We're so (laughs) proud of our little arm. Yeah. The thing is that I think there was one time a petition to increase NASA's budget to 1% of the U.S. government's thing. And then someone mentioned that, like, if you did that, NASA would be able to do, like, all of these, like, wish list things they wouldn't be able to do. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Again, they also had that uh, IRAs in 1983 had that unknown object that they that turned out to be a cloud or a galaxy for a little bit. They didn't know what it was. And people have always pointed to that as being, oh, that's when they found Nibiru and then they hid it.
1: How do they hide it? How do you hide a planet?
0: I don't know. <laughs>
1: like, is there just like a giant shield and they just deploy it and it like looks like clouds?
0: A lot of cranks seem to not know that amateur astronomers are a thing. Mm. It, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, the other one is that uh, if you the South Pole Telescope, people claim that that tracks Nibiru. But the problem is, is that the South Pole Telescope is a radio telescope and radio telescopes don't take pictures because they have this picture that they claim was made by the South Pole Telescope. And it's like radio telescopes don't take pictures like that.
1: I mean, you can, you can convert a radio data to it's fine. OK, I see what you're saying. It was like an optical picture. Of a yeah, planet?
0: it wouldn't look like what we would uh, anticipate to be a picture. Yeah. And the reason that it's in the South Pole is because it's not because they're trying to hide it from us, but it's because the South Pole is very low humidity. And that's the point of it. <laughs> like, that's why they built it there. Kind of like why is like one of the other biggest telescopes in the middle of the Atacama Desert? And it's like because it's yeah. super dry and water messes with instruments and such. And the Nibiru image that they claim is, is actually a light echo from a star called V838 Mon. So.
1: Is it an actual image?
0: It's a light echo. I don't know. I don't know exactly what that means, but. Uh, hmm. It is a cool looking, it's a binary star system in the constellation Monoceros.
1: Oh, is this the picture on the Wikipedia page where it's like a kind of shadow with a big red star in the center? I think so,
0: yeah. So you could see how if you were conspiracy-minded like, oh, that's very cinematic. That's Nibiru coming for us. That
1: looks like a drawing that is on like a 50-cent sci-fi book from the 60s.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not the kind of thing you could get from a radio telescope. Uh, Right, right. The other one that's really interesting is that um, there was a point of missing data in Google Sky near the Orion, uh, and they claim that this was Nibiru that had been redacted, but it turns out that it was a software error, and amateur astronomers have looked at this spot of sky many times. Sure. The problem is, like, the sky still exists, even if it's not reported on, I (laughs) guess. And then there's another uh, carbon star called C.W. Leonis that has also been uh, claimed to be Nibiru. I don't even know what a carbon star is. I've never heard of that before.
1: What do they mean by carbon star? Like it's in a stage of carbon burning?
0: That could be it. Uh, I mean it's very it's very orange, which
1: Okay. Means... It says it's a red giant whose atmosphere contains more carbon than oxygen. So
0: it's like a right. uh, it's starting to fuse carbon and that's when it starts like getting close to death, basically?
1: Well yes. Yes.
0: Okay. Hmm. But as you alluded to, Angela the search for a real planet X does exist, and it's called Planet Nine, a theoretical ninth planet at the edge of our solar system. There are still some people with some semi to like varying degrees of legitimate hypotheses about there actually being something out there. There are some unusual orbiting patterns and some distant objects beyond Neptune. It's still a topic of debate to some extent. Uh, there could be a super Earth, possibly. But I'll I'll try to get into it. Some telescopes like WISE and PAN stars haven't found it. And here's the place where a lot of play can happen. The existence hasn't been completely dismissed.
1: (laughs) You're being very... I I would say I'm not a believer in Planet Nine, but I would say that it is a very real hypothesis. It's not a crackpot in physics suggesting that mm-hmm. planet nine is a planet there, there is data that supports
0: it mm-hmm. i'll get into a little bit so the big one is the uh the Batchin and brown hypothesis i guess there's two professors from caltech who suggest that there's a path of six extreme trans newtonian objects which are called etnos, for the, for the I'm going to refer to as etnos for the future, <laughs> that could refer to being Planet 9 and clarify why some etnos have orbits at right angles to the inner planets, others have steep inclines, and even might explain some of the sun's axis tilt. And it would explain so, about something that I found very interesting, which is that as we study the Kuiper Belt, we've also discovered something called the Kuiper Cliff, which is that the Kuiper Belt just kind of abruptly stops at a certain point. And another planet out there might explain, because as we've mentioned, planets clear up their orbit, right? So something might be clearing up the orbit there.
1: Can I um, paint the picture? Sure. So like if you if you imagine the solar system like a pancake and the sun's in the center, all of the planets are like within a few degrees of on the pancake, like stuck in a flat disc. And as you go further out, um, these trans objects that they're talking about kind of fly above the pancake. So they're no longer in our little disk. So the suggestion of Planet Nine is that, okay, well, if there's a planet out here, it's gonna be pulling those guys up. And that's why we see. So if we saw all of these objects being pulled up, it's very suggestive that something else is out there, but they're very hard to spot. So we have very few data points.
0: Mm -hmm. That Makes a lot of sense. Everything's pulling on each other. It's almost as if every object in the universe pulls on every other object by an amount of force <laughs> equal to its mass or something. Uh, I, I got stuck at that point. I remember that something like that. <laughs>
1: that I should just diplomatically say that i am on some papers that disagree with planet nine okay so
0: (laughs) we can be respectful this is this is not crankery this is this is like a living a living hypothesis
1: it's an actual thing that it's just it's really hard to see stuff out there Mm -hmm. so when they say they haven't ruled it out it's like well you have to search so much parameter space to find it and it's not going to be very bright because it's very far away
0: yeah if this hypothesis turned out to be correct, it would not be the biggest surprise in science.
1: No, and it would be cool, but I would be mad if they called it a planet. Because <laughs> Pluto can't be a planet, but this crazy thing is a planet.
0: This thing that's, like, suggesting at being in our solar system. Mm-hmm. So the thing, though, is that, so as we've, like, I'm talking to a dark matter expert, so I don't want to, like, in the way that in a kind of way of dark matter, like we don't know what dark matter is, but we know a lot of things that are like constraining about where it is and like what it can do and like those kinds of things. Right. In that same way, they have done the math to like narrow down what this thing would have to be if if it does exist. Right. So first of all, WISE, which is a big infrared telescope, has excluded that there is any Saturn sized objects in our solar system That we don't know about up to about 10,000 AUs and Jupiter sized systems at about 26,000 AUs, which is very, very far away. Mm -hmm. Might as well not be in the solar system at that point. That doesn't make sense because it's just about orbits. It's not about, there's no, there's no like, if you're too far away, it's not in the solar system anymore. I'm just being, (laughs) I'm just being a goof. So WISE is still looking at this and I just found out that you. Yes, you listener can actually help out with this because they're doing a Zooniverse thing with this. So they're looking at a bunch of wise data of infrared data looking for any signs of there being any planets out there. And they have NASA's asked for people to donate some of their computer power to help process all this information. And you can do so with a link that I'm going to put in the show notes where you can instead of like mining Bitcoin, you can use some of your um, your (laughs) CPU circuits or cycles to uh, to help process and look for a ninth planet if you want to.
1: I didn't know you were going to do that, but I would love to gush about the Galaxy Zoo project. So, yes,
0: please. Um,
1: it's very similar. You go to Galaxy Zoo and you become trained on how to identify like elliptical galaxies or irregular galaxies or barred galaxies. And you can sift through the data and you can be a citizen scientist. And it's great. Yeah, and It's free and it's fun.
0: That's, so. that's super cool. There was actually something similar to that that historians were doing where they were looking for the tomb of Genghis Khan. But because Mongolia is so big and so open that like basically you sift through you use. I don't know if they finished. This was a long time ago, but you can sift through like satellite photos to see if you can find anything that looked like uh, (laughs) Mongolian tombs. Or um, I remember when I was a kid in like the 90s that I remember somehow probably broke my computer in the process. But I had SETI at home uh, on my computer. for Yeah. yeah. Which was like a a program where people could donate some computer power to process radio telescope things looking for anything that was like signals from intelligences out there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so there's that modern data from the strange procession of the perihelia. That's another new word for me. But the procession of the perihelia of Saturn, Earth, and Mars suggests that any unknown planet must be farther than certain distances based on its mass.
1: Right, so like if you just imagine like a plot, like just an XY graph, and they're like, this is all the places that Planet 9 could be if it's going to fit the data we have, and they're just slowly scratching things off and ruling it out. So it's not ruled out yet. But they've rolled out a lot of possibilities.
0: Mm-hmm. One example would be that a planet fifteen times the size of Earth's mass could only be further than nine hundred and seventy to one thousand one hundred and eleven AU. So kind of like the Planet X board game where it's all about trying to like narrow down the spaces where the thing could be until it's either there mm-hmm. or it isn't. Kind of like with Dark Matter, they're finding all the things that it isn't and getting hopefully getting closer to the thing that it is eventually but then in dark matter we know it's a thing we just got to figure out what it is whether this is like whether or not it actually is a thing so the next part to go on into is that a group of astronomers found that uh the analysis of cassini data on saturn's orbit found that observations didn't support a planetary body in the orbit and mass similar to those of Betagen and Brown's Planet Nine in certain positions, but slightly favor such a body at a specific position, approximately 630 AUs from the sun.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So it's getting very specific at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. But that's good, though, because then mm-hmm. you, you just ask NASA for $100 million and some telescope time and there you go. rule
0: it out. Yeah. So public data on the orbit of the Etnos uh, show a statistically significant asymmetry between the shortest mutual ascending and descending nodal distances and the discovery of correlated pairs of orbits with extremely low mutual nodal distances. Angela, help. I don't know what
1: that means. I don't know what they're talking about.
0: Uh, That large, disturbing forces could exist hundreds of AUs from the sun, suggesting the possibility of an unknown massive body at the outermost of the solar system. We have a very narrow band and we're getting closer to finding out whether or not this thing exists. So the hope is the planet X is not completely dead, but the cranks did have run with what what they got.
1: (laughs) Well, even if we do find planet nine, I don't think it's going to disrupt the Earth and reverse our magnetic field. It's just hanging out out there
0: perfect and it'd be cool the things i came across is like if it is out there like it's so far away and if it's big enough to be what they think it is then it's likely like some cool things it could be a rogue planet that got sort of mm-hmm. scooped up because it'd be too big and too rocky to be that far out so it would be it, it's, it could be something like that and i feel like you know if a mua mua got us excited imagine finding like <laughs> an actual a planet sized mua mua right on the ex, uh, outskirts of the solar system
1: did you see the paper that said planet nine might be a black
0: hole oh now like it gets you can't more fun. see it
1: because it's. Because it's a black hole, we can't see it. Because it's black hole.
0: That's like you can't see me because I'm invisible type thinking.
1: Yeah, at the end of the paper, they like printed like in real size. Like the black hole would be this this big, like two inches in diameter. And they like printed like a black circle, and they were like, "See, done." (laughs) Very fun.
0: Indisputable. No hawking radiation or anything. I guess. (laughs) But that is that is everything I could find on Planet X. Everything exclusive extensively. Uh, Angela, you have been such a great guest. Again, before everybody clicks off and l- listens to their next show, I don't know, the moth or something, please tell everybody to find your work and where they can, because it's some really good stuff.
1: OK, so I've been YouTubing for about a year at a call your astro and I do videos about science and data and whatever I'm interested in. Uh, my last one was about the gravothermal catastrophe, which is just as cool as it sounds.
0: I will say, Angela's being modest. There's extended sequences of her doing math in the video, and it's extremely entertaining. <laughs> so it's a one-of-a-kind experience. Definitely get onto it. For everyone else, you could also check out our podcast, this one that you're listening to now. If you want to connect with us, uh Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. We're working on what our post-Twitter plans are at the moment. Uh, <laughs> both Scott and I are on BlueSki, and I think Scott might be working on something to do with whatever the Zuckerberg threads thing is all. Whatever thing we put our shit posts on on the internet is in flux right now. But Probs Not Aliens will it's be on such the thing a that weird comes out time. in the other end. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like I joined Mastodon and then Blue Sky, and I'm like, I'm not doing another one. I'm just I'm just not going to do it. I'm just
0: done. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I'm going to wait till I find out which one wins, because... Yeah, yeah. And then just kind of go with that. But yeah, we'll be at Provs Not Aliens on whatever that is, whenever it comes out. You can check out NerdSync because Scott is a very good boy who makes good videos. You can check out Step Back, which is my videos. I think my next video, I think I'm writing the script for it right now. My next video is called Would Karl Marx Hate AI? It's where I'm going to get live crucified by my audience for saying that we need to have some nuanced conversations about AI.
1: I just filmed my AI video yesterday, so nice. I'm editing that. We'll compete on AI.
0: Yeah, I'm curious I, what you have to say.
1: I hope our opinions are the same.
0: We'll see. I, I, I feel like uh, we'll talk about it after the mics are off. Um, okay, But uh, if you can find this podcast, if you want to get it early, we do one episode early. If you go to nebulatv slash probably not aliens, if you sign up through Nebula for that link, it supports us directly. And if you don't want to spend money supporting the show, you can always do reviews, Uh, leaving reviews on whatever your podcatcher of choice does really does help the show. And it really gives us a boost to keep doing this, to see all the nice things you have to say. And if you don't even want to do that, the best thing that you can do, the absolute best thing, even with the money, the best thing that you can do is just take this podcast and throw it out another friend of yours. Because podcasts don't have algorithms, they thrive on word of mouth. And so, show it to people and the place you can take them to is ProbsNotAliens.com, where you can get this podcast on whatever thing that you want to shove into your earballs with right there. Okay, I feel like I've talked a lot, so uh, that is all for now. I'm Tristan Johnson.
1: I'm Angela Collier.
0: And the truth is out there probably... We're getting closer and closer to figuring out whether the truth is out there.